I'm Monica Kelly with Closer Look. Darren Mott is a retired FBI agent. He hosts podcasts on cybersecurity, CyberGuy, and CyberSmart. Good to have you, Darren. Thank you so much for having me, Monica. Well, let's start with the basics. What is cybersecurity? Cybersecurity is the capability an individual or a company has to protect their data from attackers that are looking to steal that information. What types of businesses are most at risk for a cyber attack? Right now, healthcare is number one, it seems like. There's a lot of ransomware is hitting healthcare. A lot of school districts are being hit with ransomware right now to make their networks inaccessible. So the schools kind of have to pay the ransom quickly to get back online. So those are big ones. Obviously, financial sector has always been a target because that's where the money is. Um, And so, I mean, there is no industry in the world that is not a target of cyber actors. What are some of the biggest cybersecurity challenges that businesses face? It's a vast range of individual hackers just looking to monetize information. It's organized cyber crime groups that host in a whole bunch of different things. These are where your ransomware actors are. And then you have nation state actors looking to steal intellectual property. And the way that most of them are getting in is through social engineering. They're getting someone to click on a link or open an attachment in an email. 90% of the cases I worked in the FBI were due to this kind of social engineering or phishing. You talked a little bit about it already, but what is the lure for the hacker? Who are these criminals? The ones you're going to hear about most are those that do like the ransomware, what are called business email compromise, and those that target seniors for scams. And they are all motivated by money. They are looking to financially gain from Again, our naivete online, um, the human error and things like that. Do they ever get prosecuted? Sometimes. It's rare because the problem is a lot of them are in, a lot of the main hackers are in Eastern Europe or Asia or parts of the world that the U.S. just doesn't have jurisdiction. So, you know, the chance of us actually, the, the FBI actually arresting someone for a lot of these crimes is limited. There have been some successes. Uh, especially if we are friendly with a particular country, Estonia, which borders on Russia, has had some of the hackers that have a Russian descent living in Estonia have been arrested and extradited back to the United States for prosecution. So it does happen. It's just once the money leaves the U.S., it gets funneled and, and it ends up overseas. It's gone. I mean, if you take a look at romance scams, you know, uh, you have, you have you know, those over 60, 70 that are widowers are using technology to find love online. Um, but a lot of these, this love is coming from scammers. And so they're ending up sending wire transfers to, you know, people who say, hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to come back home, but I got robbed at the airport. Can you send me $5,000? Or the grandparent scam where you're, you'll get a call and they'll say grandma and you'll think, and this, it may sound like one of your grandkids. And if you say their name, they'll claim they are that person. And they'll say, hey, I got arrested. Can you bail me out? I need $1,000. It happened to my mother. She, uh, she thought my son had called her. Fortunately, she had an FBI agent who was a cyber guy. Uh, and so she called me and says, hey, it's Patrick. They go, yeah, he's sitting right next to me. So she told me what happened. I said, yeah, it's a scam. That's incredible. What are some of the other things that are happening to seniors? So the big one is the technical support scam where you get an email that may say, this is Amazon and your purchase of an $800 MacBook has been um, delayed because your credit card has been denied. Call this number to solve this problem. Another big one I'm starting to see, I see it all the time, but I've seen it more recently, is where it says your Norton antivirus has been renewed for $400. Call this number if you don't want it. Now, Norton doesn't cost $400 a year, but people will believe that they were fraudulently charged, call the number. And what happens is 
the scammer on the other end says, oh yeah, I can take care of that for you. I just need you to download this particular app. And what it is, it's a remote login device. And so you'll download it. They'll ask for the password and the username, and then they'll get access to your computer and then they'll steal all sorts of information off it. If you've just joined us, I'm Monica Kelly with Closer Look. My guest today is Darren Mott, retired FBI agent, host of the Cyber Guy podcast, as well as Cyber Smart podcast. Are mobile devices security risks? Sure. Every, any, anything with software is a security risk and, and because software is inherently vulnerable. I'm going to go a little far afield of your question, but I'll come back to it real quick. There was a case that was happened in 2014 where a casino was compromised. Their network was compromised and information about their most wealthy guests were stolen. And the way the bad guys got into the network through the thermometer and the fish tank. So the, it was a smart thermometer that you know read the temperature and said what the pH was. They compromised the software that ran that thermometer and were able to get into the network. So if you can get into a network through a thermometer, then you're going to ultimately be able to get into it through a phone or a tablet because there's so much, so many more vulnerabilities with all the software code running there. Now, is it a huge issue? No, you're not seeing a whole lot of compromise of these devices. Apple's is the Apple phone is much more secure because all of their software is proprietary and you have to get apps through the Apple store. And they do a very good job of identifying potentially threatening apps and removing them. There have been some over time that have been had risks to them or, or, or had a code on it that could capture passwords, let's say. Android's a little worse because Android, you can download apps from outside of the Google Play Store. And a lot of times criminals will create apps that have backdoors on them that when you load that onto your phone, that app, when you run it, will steal credential information, um, steal information off of your phone. You know, when you hook it up to your computer, your network at home, could theoretically jump off of that to another thing. So Android's a little more vulnerable because of that. I'm Monica Kelly with Closer Look. We are talking about cybersecurity and threats. Gavina Avila, she is the Community Engagement Coordinator, the Sacramento Better Business Bureau. It's good to have you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Are cybersecurity threats on the rise? Yes. So according to some data that's available through Thought Lab Group, the average number of data breaches increased by more than 15% in 2022 compared to 2021. Still happens today. Um, weak password management is another one. And the, probably the other big one is a lot of companies do not enable multi-factor authentication where you put in your password, but then you also have to get a text message or use an app on your phone to get a, dig a six-digit code. Okay, so two-factor authentication would be you go online, you go, you go to your banking online services, you log in, and then they say, we have just sent you a code to your cell phone. Go ahead and log in the code. Exactly. So sometimes there'll be a code, like a four or six digit code that they send to your email or they'll text you or they'll even give you a phone call. So that is one or a couple ways of authentication. Another way is that they'll have you enter your fingerprint as a form of authenticating you or entering your phone passcode. In addition to all of that, to utilize this information. So they want to use different means of communication to verify that you are the person that is looking to receive and utilize this information, which it helps definitely. A lot of companies do not enable that. Uh, and it makes it very easy for bad guys who have stolen credentials that they get from the dark web to find legitimate login information and get into a company's network. And so hackers are relying on human error to get in especially when it comes to not changing our easy to remember passwords and engaging in 
online purchases. So of course, there's going to be an exchange of personal information and people are going to take advantage of that. Absolutely. Yep. And distraction, I can imagine. Yep. Tax season, right? So you're going to get a lot of emails from the IRS saying, hey, you know, have you looked at these new IRS rules for the year? Click on this PDF to explain to you what the new rules are. And the PDF may actually be a legitimate IRS PDF, but the bad guy is embedded code in that, that you don't realize in the background, drop some kind of software on your system that will capture your key, your keystrokes, will get passwords, will steal information from your computer, can do all sorts of bad stuff. Okay. When you talk about phishing emails, would that be an email that you receive, say you're at work, you receive an email and it says, click here for more information about your possible pay raise, for example. So look at the from. So let's say it's supposed to come from from the, the CEO of the company. So if the CEO of the company is Bob at acme.com, but if you look at the from and it's from some other thing at, at a funky, you know, gmail.com or like, you know, even that, if it's just Bob at gmail.com and it claims to be from your CEO, question that. A lot of companies are now using a, there's a, there's a very common tool that a lot of email providers have that you get an email that says external contact, meaning the email came from outside of the corporate system. So that is a big key indicator that if there's an attachment or a URL link in the email that you want to question the sender. So call the, if, if you're not expecting an email from your CEO or your CFO and they're asking you something that really seems strange or they're asking you to open a document, contact them and ask them if that's the case. Um, so I'll give you an example of, of how easy this is. There was, a, there was a group that I know that does penetration testing. So they send an email to 30 people in this company of 400. And it said, if your name is on the attached spreadsheet, you have not taken information security training for the year and your access is going to be turned off on Friday. How many of those in that, that PD, when they opened that Excel spreadsheet, there was code in there that would allow an external attacker access to the computer. How many of those 30 people do you think opened up that attachment? I would say all of them. 35, they forwarded to five to other people who also open. Yeah, an easy one that I've seen a lot is your Amazon order is having some issues with delivery. Click here to discover more information. And then it may ask you to enter your Amazon login information. Or one that I see on both email and text messages is said, would say something along the lines of your Bank of America account has some issues click here to log into your account and they'll come up with a fake front page that looks just like the Bank of America website. You'll go to log in your information. I'll ask you to enter it a couple times and then I'll say, we can't process this information now. And by that time, they'll have your login information and they'll have access to your bank account. So things, situations like that is what can get the not cautious individual into trouble when it comes to falling victim to these scams. Look carefully throughout the email to make sure there's nothing, like you said, fishy. No links to click and never click a link from an unknown source. Yes. Um, it almost seems like never click a link, period, these days. <laughs> I know. Unfortunately, you do get to that point. But it also helps to, as you mentioned, verify the address that it's coming from. Make sure that it has your name correctly spelled. Uh, when they are writing an email to you, normally when you receive an email, it's going to have your name on the top line. And if it doesn't says, hey, consumer, or, hey, in my case, they'd say, hey, Gavin, <laughs> or something where your name isn't written correctly, that is going to raise a red flag 
And if you have a gut feeling, if you have a, an intuitive instinct that says something isn't right here, please listen to that because it's going to give you that precaution that you must take. And I just suggest strongly that you listen to what your body is telling you when it comes to what you read and what you see and people that you meet and websites that you engage in. Well, you are the community engagement coordinator for the Sacramento Better Business Bureau. What are some of the ways that businesses are experiencing things like data breaches and cyber terrorism? There are a lot of phishing advertisements that happen when people go onto different websites. It can easily be on Facebook or other websites that you get linked to when you do regular research. I'll go to a website for a new recipe and there's all these pop-ups that happen, a little video that plays in the bottom corner. Sometimes, especially if on your phone, you can click on something by accident, it'll take you to a new website. So where we have to take caution is making sure that we do not fall victim to these easily accessible alternative websites or phishing emails that are being sent out. Once a business or organization has been compromised, what are some of the delays in getting things back to normal? Well, the big problem is they don't realize they've been compromised for, on average, 300 days. In other words, a bad guy gets into a system. No one knows they're there for roughly 300 days on average. And most of the time, it's law enforcement contacting them saying, hey, is this your information? And you say, yes. Boy, then you have to kind of bring in an incident response team to identify the depth and breadth of the breach. Because what happens is they'll, they may, you may get an employee to click on a link that downloads malware to that one computer. Once they're on that computer, they can pivot and move throughout your network because that computer is connected to the network and then will basically spider out to get into as many different areas as they can. If you take a look at the SolarWinds breach, um, SolarWinds is a cybersecurity company. Um, and the way they got breached was they had a bad password on their main server, the server that sends out updates to all of their customers. So they had this application that is on their client servers. The bad guy got access to the update server and then were able to push their malware through the update server. And the password had been reset by an intern during the summer to password one, no, no, SolarWinds123. And that's how they got in. We talked about passwords earlier. There you go. I'm Monica Kelly. This is Closer Look. Darren Mott is a retired FBI agent. He hosts podcasts on cybersecurity, CyberGuy, and CyberSmart. Larger corporations probably have cybersecurity experts in-house or they hire out contract cybersecurity experts. What about the mom and pop business? Yeah, that's a tough one, right? Because cybersecurity, having cybersecurity for your business is not going to make you money. It's going to cost you money because you have to buy either, you have to you know hire people to do it. You have to hire virtual CISOs to be your security folks. There's a lot of different things. The best thing that you know mom and pops can really do is you know, go on LinkedIn and find cyber experts and engage conversation with them in your community, find working groups of cyber executives. And maybe, you know, you can network with the right people who can point you in the direction of cheap alternatives. Cause there's a lot of alter alternatives out there for the small and medium sized business. Cause uh, companies are recognizing that as an underserviced community. And so you're starting to see capabilities that mom and pops can engage in. And the other part is just, you know, kind of find ways to stay on top of current cybersecurity trends and risks and things like that. I mean, you should always, and I will say this, at the end of the day, mom and pops from, from a, as far as securing your networks, multi-factor authentication and strong passwords, meaning 13 characters or more will eliminate a lot of this problem. Okay. And not just using my dog spot 
one, two, three. Correct. Right. So you want to, my suggestion is you get a password manager of some sort and you have it generate. What I do is I generate a 20 character password of a a variety of different numbers, symbols, and letters. And the good thing is these managers, you can have it on your phone, on your computer, on your tablet. And if you change a password on your iPhone, it will sync up to these other devices. So when you go to your laptop to log into your Twitter account or whatever, and you need the password, you have it there. If you're scared about those particular technology, there's nothing wrong with writing down your usernames and passwords. Just store them in a place that's not easily accessible. Like I I recommend people put it in a book and stick it on your bookshelf. Unless you're robbed by Mensa, no one's taking your books. So get your passwords and logins. That's hilarious. Okay. So speaking of logging into Twitter, how safe is it for businesses to engage on social media? Right. Great question. So as far as engaging in the applications, that risk is reasonably low. Depends on the on the application, right? I mean, one thing, if you look, this is an audio podcast, I, I know, but if you look behind me on my little whiteboard, I have a TikTok with a line through it and a square. That is probably the most dangerous social media app that all companies should restrict from their networks. Now, you can't stop your, your employees from using TikTok on their personal devices. That's a risk they're taking. But on no network should allow an employee to have TikTok, like connect to their Wi-Fi and have TikTok on that because TikTok is a Chinese owned app that the Chinese uses for data collection, personal data collection. Um, It can potentially capture passwords and logins on your device. Um, It installs 13 different trackers on your device that no one knows what those trackers are doing. They could be copying passwords. They could be tracking location. It's it's hard to say because China's not coming out and saying what those are for. Now you can argue other social media apps, Instagram, Facebook have trackers as well. Those are mostly for advertising. So like it's like when you you go on and you look at a you look at a group about guitars on Facebook. Suddenly you'll get all these ads for guitars because there's trackers that track your information and match your information with advertisement. But you agree to all that in the terms of service when you download those those apps. It's the same for all social media apps. There's a terms of service that allow them to do these kind of things. The difference is if TikTok misuses your personal data, you can't sue anybody. If Instagram, Facebook, Twitter does you can sue them. So am I, the, the, the key thing on social media is a company has to assess their risk. I can't really tell you not to use social media. I use LinkedIn myself, um, but I am very particular on how I use it. Um, I don't, I am particular on who I accept for connections, things like that. A lot of it just comes down to having people in place that can assess that cyber risk for your company um, and help you make those decisions on what social media apps are the best ones for you. You mentioned social media, and I've noticed that there are times, and maybe you've had this happen to you too, where my own account has been hacked, or um, maybe somebody famous has their account hacked. And that's especially difficult, I know, for people who've built up a huge following, and then they have to start all over. How easy is it for people to make dummy accounts? How can we avoid that happening? Right. So that's problematic, right? Because if you want to create a fictitious account, you can, as long as you have, I mean, I will say they've they've taken some efforts to make it harder because you have to have a, a cell phone number to match to the account. And I say this because I'll be honest with you, I was doing some open source research um, as a consulting thing and I I needed to make a fictitious Facebook account. And so I was trying to tie it to a fictitious email I had, then I had to have a fictitious text number. So they've done a much better job. It's a lot harder to do it, but it's not like it's not impossible. Um, And the problem is, you know, that's, 
you're talking billions of users and, you know, billions of users, millions of fictitious accounts. They only have so many employees to try to track all those things. And if those fictitious accounts aren't really doing anything nefarious, they're not going to trigger off any of the internal settings that indicate, hey, this this particular account is questionable. You know, go back to the 2016 election and the Russian the Russian um, guys that were putting some stuff on Facebook. You know, if they just sat there and watched and didn't do anything else, their 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 accounts never probably would have been flagged because there'd been no reason to look at them because you only look at so many. It's kind of like if you take a look at the, when we talk about people concern themselves, hey, the FBI has all this information. They only have so many people looking at it. So if you know if you're not really committing a crime, the FBI is not looking at your data because there's just not enough people, not enough time to look at everybody's stuff. So same thing with Facebook. There's just a lot of accounts. It's hard to monitor them all, but I will say in the recent years they have done a much better job putting some security protocols in place to make it harder to create those fictitious accounts. How can you tell if somebody else's social media has been compromised? In my experience, I would say abnormal behavior. If you see them advertising that something's going on sale and that's not normally what they do, you can send them a direct message to say, hey, is this you? Or if you have their phone number, which which I would advise to do first, send them a text message and say, I see you posted this. This looks like unusual behavior for you. Did your account get hacked? And I've seen people respond by saying, I had no idea this was going out. My apologies. Please ignore any friend requests that you may have with my name and face attached to it. Please ignore and report it and then move on from there. I can't tell you necessarily what to do if your account has been hacked, except for reaching out to the host. So if it's on Instagram, reaching out to Instagram customer service and saying, what do I do now if this has happened? Or Facebook and saying, this has happened, what do I do now? And they can help you with their customer service department. Um, but it's not a fun situation for anyone involved. No, not at all. And I understand that it's probably pretty difficult sometimes to get sort of back in control of your own social media page once it's been compromised. Yes. There are, since 2017, 555 million distinct password login combinations available on the dark web. How many of those are used by the person who had that password multiple times? That's the other thing with passwords. People use the same password over and over. It can be used to log in again. LifeLock had accounts compromised. And they use what's called credential stuffing and just planned to demand the login password until it worked. And so thousands of accounts were compromised because the, those account users had the same password in their email, in their social media, in their LifeLock, in their bank account stuff. And that is the big risk is if you don't have multi-factor authentication turned on, that stolen login information can now be used in other login locations to get access to your account because you're not using multi-factor authentication. What are some of the barriers in addressing cybersecurity? Uh, lack of proper training and cybersecurity best practices. So we see more people of different ages engaging online and we don't have training in what to watch out for. We're just taking it as we're going along. And so when it comes to seeing phishing emails, knowing what that looks like, and knowing not to click on those or what to do to avoid those or how to report those is important. So if you see something in your email that looks fishy, they don't have your name right, it looks like it's not from the sender that you think it should be, then we do not 
informed of to send that to spam or to report it instead of just avoiding it or ignoring it or clicking on it to see what it is, which is not what you should be doing. But no one's there to tell you this information. And hackers are getting more clever and more consistent in doing these attacks in very interpersonal spaces, on YouTube and social media, at the workplace. They're getting pretty creative in their tactics when it comes to to pushing the barrier of cyber lack of security. What should our posture be as business owners, as individuals, when it comes to cybersecurity? Uh, well, understand that this, this problem is not going away anytime soon. Think about two basics. The two big basics are, are password, long, strong passwords and multi-factor authentication. You do those two things. Question emails. So quite, when you get emails, if you're not expecting an email from someone, question it. I mean, I guarantee you, everybody listening to this has gotten the email that says, hey, you won an iPad from Target or hey, you won this from Sam's Club. And if you look at it, the picture is just not right, really. There's something weird with that. If you click on the picture, chances are pretty good. It's going to down send you to a website that downloads malware on your system. And then you've got a whole host of problems. So you got to practice good email hygiene. Understand, I say this on my podcast, understand the threats targeting you. There are people looking to steal your personal identifiable information as easy as they can. Assess your risk and proceed wisely. So assessing your risk, I mean, how good are how good your passwords? Do you have all your accounts with multi-factor authentication? Because let's say even they get into your computer and they log into your bank account. If they don't have the multi-factor code, they don't have access to your phone or to the app on your phone that's giving you that extra code for your bank, they're not going to get to, into your bank anyway. So multi-factor authentication, be careful what you click on on email and just understand you know, what the cyber threats are, which again, is, is easy for me to say. I watch this all the time. Um, not everybody else is paying attention to all these things as they happen. The, the, the two big risk areas really for online stuff from a personal perspective are kids and seniors. It's been multiple times that I've gotten a phone call from my mom who says, I have an opportunity to get a brand new iPhone for you and five other people. <laughs> if I just click this link and I say, no, mom, whatever you do, don't click the link. It's not real. They just don't understand the threats in general. So, you know, look out for your seniors, look out for your kids and just be aware of the threats that are out there targeting them and just kind of follow it and, and pay attention to what they're doing. I had a lady come into the Cleveland field office years ago. Her neighbor brought her in because she thought she had won the lottery online. And she had ultimately sent the bad guy $200,000 thinking she would ultimately get this lottery money. So, but like I said before, no one went to jail and she didn't get her money back. So be, you know, help your seniors understand some of these scams. There's a lot of free resources online that you can access that'll kind of give you the basics. It's just, it's a vigilant thing. I mean, having programs like this explain some of these things gets the awareness out um, and that's very helpful. But I mean, a lot of people will still stick their head in the sand because they think I don't have anything anyone would want. And every person, every business has something a cyber bad guy would want. Well, thank you so much to my guest today, Darren Mott, former FBI special agent, host of the Cyber Guy and Cyber Smart podcast. Thank you so much for being on Closer Look. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. This is Closer Look. I'm Monica Kelly. Gavina, what are some of the things that the Better Business Bureau is doing to fight cyber attacks? On our website, bbb.org, you can find countless numbers of websites and articles that we've produced with data and statistics to show and support how consumers can protect themselves against cyber threats. 
We also have ways that not only ways for you to protect yourself, but if you do find yourself in a scenario where you feel that something is not right or something may be fishy, we do have the our own investigation department and you can report on bbb.org with us to say, file a claim and say, hey, this is what's going on. Either your interaction with the business doesn't feel right or you do see potential fraud in working with some online merchant, we can always uh, support the consumer with um, the report on BBB Scam Tracker. So we do give a lot of education and information on how to protect yourself. And while you're out there, how to protect your information. But ultimately, it's up to, to you to do your due diligence and not just believe everything that you see and click on everything that pops up. You do have to walk with caution as someone who's engaging in the online world. Thank you so much. Tell us your website again so that people can get more information. BBB.org. Very simple. And we can, you can find us in your location, of course. Thanks again to my guest, Gavina Avila of the Sacramento Better Business Bureau and cybersecurity expert and host of the Cyber Guy podcast, Darren Mott. For Closer Look, I'm Monica Kelly.